You're listening to Red Leg Nation Radio, the official podcast of RedLegNation.com. Welcome to Red Leg Nation Radio. This is Bill Lack, and today we're really excited to be spending some time with a good friend of Red Leg Nation, Red's broadcaster, Chris Welsh. Chris, welcome. Thank you, Bill. Glad to be with you today. So, so Chris, let's start off with, uh, tell us a little bit about Goodyear and the facility and what you thought about it in your time out there. Well, uh, in my estimation, it was better than advertised. You know, we heard how good it was. We heard how functionally correct it was. But when I got out there, I had no idea how, how really nice it was made for baseball. There is just no doubt about it. There's no excuses now for the Reds not being able to get their players ready for, for the Major League season because, um, uh, you know, they've got four fields, uh, practice fields. They've got two half fields. The, the dressing facilities, the medical facilities where they eat, uh, where they meet. Where, um, they have uh, video cameras everywhere on all the fields so then they can dial those up from a, on the Internet from all the way from Cincinnati. Uh, even operate the cameras, I think, with the toggle switch. So uh, they've really got state-of-the-art, and uh, it's just a very beautiful place, perfect for baseball. Was was this your first time in spring training in Arizona? My first time in Arizona? For spring training? It, 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 was it your first time in Arizona for spring training? You know, well... Uh, my first time. Well, I, I was. I think what you're asking, Bill, is was it the first time I've been in Arizona for spring training? Yes. And uh, as a as a broadcaster, yes. But uh, I played for the Padres when they used to train down in Yuma, Arizona, which is right up, really a truck stop town, right on the Mexican border. Uh, we used to take road trips into Phoenix to play all the teams that were stationed in Phoenix back then. Uh, but. Um, you know, I think the weather was beautiful down there. There's no humidity, and there are many days out there where the humidity was around 20%. One day it was down as low as 13%, believe it or not. And uh, uh, it, uh, it's, it's a perfect fit for baseball. If you like spring baseball, it's not a bad place to be. Okay. I, don't know, I want to explain to our listeners that, that Chris is having a little bit of trouble hearing me. So uh, he's recording well at this end, but he's having a little bit of trouble hearing us. Um. Let's talk about the pitching, uh, Chris. In your time with the Reds organization, have you ever seen the team have as much quality pitching as they seem to have right now? No. You know, the Reds spring training used to be the place to go to if you were a, a marginal pitcher, a fringe pitcher, a retread, uh, hoping to latch on with somebody because they always seem to have, you know, two or three or even sometimes four spots open on the pitching staff. They're always looking for number four or five. Sometimes they're looking for a third starter, too. And they're always looking for one or two guys in the bullpen. Uh, this year it's not like that at all. In fact, they almost can hang a sign out that says no room at the end because uh, the pitching staff has been pretty much decided uh, you know, prior to spring training, uh, except for the one spot, of course, the fifth starter's job, and they've got actually big league pitchers to choose from there. So uh, it is by far the best I've seen it in, in a long, long time. Chris, what have you seen and heard of the new pitching coach, Brian, P- uh, Brian Price? Uh, what are your uh, feelings on well, him? Well, you know, I, I know Brian a little bit. I met him when he was with the Diamondbacks in the big leagues. In fact, we talk a lot about uh, a Kentucky native, Brandon Webb, uh, and had Webb's sinker ball. And uh, Webb had very many nice things to say about Brian Price. And uh, I know that his credentials are very good. He's won the minor league pitching coach of the year award a couple of times. Uh, uh, I talked to Lou Pinella the other day, who had him in in, uh, in Seattle. Uh, he was very very impressed with Brian Price. You know, 
my, my view of it is this, Bill. Most pitching coaches, like hitting coaches, pretty much say the same thing. Uh, but the good ones say it in different ways so that the lights can come on. So uh, I think Brian Price is a really good communicator. Uh, he takes his time to break stuff down, of course, according to video and all that. But the, but the bottom line is that, is that he's able to communicate what he sees to these players so that they can put it into practice. Now, also keep in mind that Brian Price got here at the right time. Um, you know, he, he has two, two very good pitchers, or potentially good pitchers, in Arroyo and Harang in the free agent year. Uh, you finally have a year or so under your belt if you're Homer Bailey and Johnny Cueto, both with terrific stuff. And then you've got a left-hander comes in throwing 100 miles an hour. And you've got a very solid veteran bullpen. So he, he has inherited a very good situation. Uh, but I also think that he's going to do a dandy of a job here, too. We've been hearing in spring training about Harang working on mechanics. Do you think he can return to the effectiveness that we saw a couple of years ago? I don't think there's any doubt to it. In fact, he worked on those mechanics in the offseason. All the adjustments that he made were made in San Diego, really with the help of a physical therapist that tried to get him to be a little bit more limber and uh, increase his stride. Uh, For some reason or another, over the last few years, Aaron Harang's stride began to shorten up worse and worse every year. In fact, it was a, uh, a subject of conversation quite common for Jeff Brantley and me to talk about, you know, before and after games he would pitch. We'd see it. And, of course, we're not the pitching coaches. We're not at liberty to go down there and tell him what's going on. But uh, he became essentially a stand-up dart thrower with nothing behind the ball, not much downward movement on his breaking ball, kind of a rolling breaking ball. Uh, when I saw him throw on the side in the spring and then begin to throw some spring training games, uh, he reminds me a lot more of the Aaron Harang that came over from the Oakland A's, what, about eight years ago. So I think he's back on the uh, on the button. Of course, he's got that extra motivation to get a big contract out of this year uh, because he is a free agent. And uh, it'll, be, uh, it'll be interesting to see how good a year he can put together. Let's go on to the Bronson Arroyo for a little bit. His number, his season numbers are pretty consistent. I mean, he throws tons of innings. But, but he seems to vary a lot, like running streaks. Do you give any explanation for that? No, uh, he, he's a field pitcher. Uh, he uses a breaking ball. I think, uh, you know, two years in a row now, he's gone like 11 games in a row, 11 starts without winning a game or something along those lines. Uh, and that's a long drought for a starting pitcher. I mean, you've got to really keep your dauber up if you're, if you're getting beat up uh, 11 games in a row. Now, some of those are games that it wasn't his fault. They don't score runs, they have errors, and so on. But he's got to figure out a way to, to keep the team in the game uh, you know, and, and eliminate that bad streak. Uh, but again, here's a guy that is extra motivated this year. Uh, he's on his free agent contract. Yes, the Reds have an option on him and Harang, but I mean, you want to make a good go of it here um, so that you can get another big payday. And I think that uh, he probably will. But his break, I mean, you know, Arroyo is a guy that's seen in my books gets a little bit better every year. His col- he's a he's a sensitive guy. You know, he looks at the world kind of from an artist's point of view, a musician, and uh, he needs to uh, you know, kind of be stroked. And, and uh, the more confidence he gets, the better he pitches. And I think that uh, he'll have a pretty good year. He's got a good breaking ball, obviously. Uh, he's got a good feel for it. He made some strides last year. And I think, uh, I think that Brian Price is going to help him through those tough times. And that's really where a pitching coach needs to step up. What do you feel like are reasonable expectations for, uh, for Cueto and Bailey this year? I think uh, 10 to 12 games winners. What do you think in terms of like ERA? 
Well, you know, it's hard to tell because you can have a couple of blowout games that make your ERA run up a whole a run like Cueto did last year when he gave up, what, 15 runs or 14 runs or something to the, uh, I don't know what he gave up, 10 runs, whatever it was, to the Philadelphia Phillies in two-thirds of an inning. Uh, and so sometimes ERA is not the best indicator. Uh, it's how many times you keep your team in the game. Uh, you know, we can even go back to that horrible, sad quality start, but nowadays it means something. And uh, I'd rather see him have, uh, you know, if you get 32 starts and you get uh, 24 quality starts or 20 to 24 quality starts out of Cueto and uh, uh, Bailey, you're doing pretty good. Uh, uh, what you really want out of your pitching staff, Bill, I think, is, is your starters that you break camp with to make the majority of your starts. The teams that do that seem to be in the hunt. The teams that are always looking for, you know, they have their number five starter, uh, you know, uh, maybe be substituted, and then they got a number six starter coming in, and then a seven guy, and then pretty soon they're using 12 different starters in a season. Those are the teams that are hurting. Yeah, it wasn't too many years ago that was us. <laughs> yeah, you're right about that. Uh, but if you look back at the, uh, you know, even as recently as the Yankees, when Joe Torre was with the Yankees, you know, and we had Messina and Cohn and David Wells uh, and Hernandez, um, or Contreras, I mean, um, you know, those guys are making 75% of the starts, almost 80% of the starts, and that's the reason why, you know, they were good, because they had a stopper going every night. This staff has a staff full of stoppers. Yes. I mean, Arroyo's got the worst stuff of anybody on the staff, and his stuff's pretty good. Um, but, I mean, when you start penciling in, you know, Homer Bailey and Cueto and hopefully Aroldis uh, Chapman, I mean, you're talking about a, these guys, you know, those three last three I mentioned, they can go out and one hit you on any night, and uh, it just might happen. Do you? I mean, we're we're all hoping that the light came on for Homer at the at the end of last season. Do Do you think he's turned the corner? I think it uh, happened happened before the end of last season. I think it happened uh, really uh, during the off season last year. He was a different guy last year, all year long, than he was uh, the year before. Uh, you know, he's more mature. He gets it. Uh, he and Dick Paul battled. You know, they didn't even communicate hardly. Um, and you get to a point where even if a guy is saying the right thing to you, if you don't like him, you're not going to listen to it. And I think that that's what happened for the most part. And I don't know whose fault it was or if it was anybody's fault. But, uh, you know, Homer was immature, and Dick Paul was an old-fashioned kind of guy that was a tough-love type of a pitching coach. So uh, it didn't work in that situation, but I think Homer gets it now. He definitely does. He also realizes that he can make a lot of money in this game. And he also looks up and says, you know what, I'm not grabbing all the headlines anymore. Or old as Chapman is. And uh, I think for that reason, you're going to see him ratchet it up a notch or two this year. I predict Homer Bailey having a very good year. That was one of the things that, that, that has been mentioned in, in some of the media outlets and that kind of thing. Do you think the media spotlight being on Chapman in spring training has helped Homer kind of just go about his business and stay focused on what he needs to do? Yeah, I do. I also think there's a maturity level there, and I also think that he looks around and maybe he's been talked to by Harang or maybe even Scott Rowland that says, hey, you know, uh, this team can win this year, but we need you. And that's really what you want as a player. Not You, you want to feel like you fit in and that you're a piece to, to making the engine work. And uh, Homer can, can certainly fit the bill to do that. Now, whether he ever is going to be the ace of the staff, I don't know, but he wants to be the ace of the staff. And wanting to be is a, big, is a big part of it. Well, let's talk a little about Chapmania. Uh, it hit a little bump this week with the back problem, but it doesn't sound like it's anything serious. Uh, I tried not to buy into it for as long as I could, but it got more and more difficult as we went along. Tell us your thoughts on this kid and what you've seen. 
Well, if you didn't buy into it, it's because you didn't see him pitch in person. No, that's uh, true. <laughs> you know, I, I, I saw him on the video, too, Bill, and, you know, this is before the red sign, and I saw him, you know, I looked up some videos uh, uh, that I could muster, uh, you know, when he was with the Cuban national team and so on. And, uh, you know, I thought, well, it was kind of, kind of a flailing, wide-open delivery. Uh, he's got a good arm, but, you know, his breaking ball didn't look sharp. Then I saw him in person, and it was a completely different thing. Uh, his delivery looked much better than I ever thought it would. Uh, his changeup is outstanding. The sliders, you know, it goes at 90 miles an hour, so, um, you know, it's more like a cutter than a slider. But uh, the kid throws the ball um, as well or better than anybody I've ever seen. I mean, it comes out of his hand, and it actually shrinks on the way to the plate is what it looks like. And uh, until you actually get down there to see him live, um, it's amazing. Um, you know, we uh, when he pitched in Scottsdale, uh, the crowd was actually ooing and aahing pitches that were being taken by the hitters. Because so there's that much difference. I mean, you watch Homer Bailey warm up one time, then you watch Chapman, and you see a major difference there. And that's saying something because Homer's got a pretty good arm. Does this kid have a ceiling? Or, or is there just well, no telling how good he can it, be? Well, yes. Yeah, the ceiling is probably, you know, the best pitcher in baseball. But... Um, what you have to always consider when you have guys that throw that hard is injuries because you just wonder how long and how many pitches the human arm can take or the back can take or the legs can take uh, when you put that much stress on it. Uh, I was reading a report the other night that uh, uh, you know baseball pitchers who throw hard are just about at the complete max as far as stress on their arms before ligaments start blowing out. So uh, they can't throw any harder than they are right now. Uh, so if you do get a guy that throws exceptionally hard and you put a big workload on him, uh, then you do risk an injury, and that's the only thing that's going to hold him back. Do you think, before the back problem the other day, that the Reds were kind of being forced to rethink their plans for him, or were they open all along to him coming north, east, whatever you want to call it, with the big club? Yeah, two schools of thought there. One is the... Do we want to get him to arbitration too early because there are some escalator clauses in his contract that would dictate him making a lot of money if he gets to arbitration early? Uh, if you want to delay him, then I think you have to keep him down in the minor leagues until somewhere around May 15th um, and do that. Then the other school of thought is, um, hey, this kid's going to have to come up here to pitch in order to, for us to fill the seats to pay his salary. So let's get him on up here. But the problem with that is that he only pitched about 120 innings last year. So if you use the conventional uh, thought, you know, you had 20% to a young pitcher's innings every year, uh, you know, he's only going to be able to go 140, 150 innings for you at the most. So how are you going to piecemeal those out? Are you going to start him early in the year and then relieve him later? Are you going to relieve him early and then start him later? Are you going to start him and leave him to five innings? Are you going to have him skip a few starts in the middle of the year? Uh, how exactly are you going to get 140 innings out of a guy who, if he was in the rotation the whole year, you know, after 32 starts, would be closer to 200 innings? You know, you certainly don't want to be able to have to shut him down September 1st if you're in the hunt. So these are all the things I think that the Reds brass have to figure out along the way. And they've got a plan. You know, I'm not sure what the plan is, but I can tell you one thing. Uh, this organization is about as good a shape as I've ever seen it. And it really starts in the front office with the baseball people. They've got some very smart people working for them in there. And uh, whatever plan they come up with, I can guarantee you they've thought a lot about it. The paper today, I think it was John Fay wrote today, he was talking about that other parts of this kid's game need to develop, his base running, his bunting, that kind of thing. 
if he were healthy and didn't it, and we hadn't seen the back problem the other day, do you think we'd have heard any of these types of things in the press today? You know what? Give me a break. If a kid throws a hundred miles an hour and you're worried about his base running, <laughs> you got to be kidding me. You worried about whether he can get a bunt down? How about whether he can throw a fastball by Albert Pujols? Yeah, there I, you go. I can. I, I can pull five hundred kids out of minor leagues who can get a bunt down, but there aren't any anybody down there with his arm. So you know you're splitting hairs when you start talking about it like that, and, and you know that that, that that borders on the ridiculous. So, so what do you think? I mean, if you had to make a prediction right now, you know, what do you think happens to him when when they make final cuts? Well, I don't think he's going to be in the starting rotation because uh, this this back problem, as minor as it may be, uh, still was going to keep him from from staying on pace where he can. Uh, you know, work himself up to five or six innings by the time he leaves spring training. So that's not going to happen. So my feeling now is, and now this gives them reason for them to kind of hold him back, wait till the weather gets better up north here, uh, get him comfortable with his whatever physical problem he had, and uh, stretch him out a little bit, and maybe give him a start or two in the minor leagues, and then you bring him up, and then then, then you've also answered your arbitration uh, question as well. There's been talk about moving Maloney to the bullpen, and, and it hasn't been clear whether they're talking about the majors or the minors with this bullpen idea. W- what goes into an organization's decision to move somebody that's always been a starter to the bullpen? Is it just you know space available? Or is it what kind of arm you have? You know how quickly you can warm well, up? I think it's all those secondary reasons. I mean, they, they didn't all of a sudden look at Matt Maloney and say, "You're going to be a better reliever." They looked at their pitching staff and said, we have no room for you here, but we want your arm on the team. We only have two lefties. We'd like to have three lefties. So I think that it's those, uh, those other reasons uh, is why they would consider doing that. And you know what? If I'm Maloney, I'd do it because I'd rather pitch in the minor I mean, I'd rather pitch in the bullpen in the major leagues than as a starter in the minor leagues any day. When spring training started, Mike Lincoln was – name was being thrown around for the number five spot and, and most of us fans you know didn't understand that can you do you have any insight in, as to why this was was considered well it was considered last year while jockey came to mike lincoln and said would you be would you consider going back to starting and of course he started early in his career and it had nothing to do with his neck injury nothing to do with any other injury he has previously sustained it was just a a uh, thing that to fill need for the Reds, they didn't know that at that time they're going to have Chapman. They didn't know what their what their fifth starter situation was going to be. They looked around the marketplace and realized there wasn't a whole lot out there unless you want to bring a guy like Josh Fogg back. So, um, you know, I think that that's the reason they just wanted to give them more arms to choose from in spring training. And 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 the same thing happened a few years ago with uh, J- uh, Jeremy, uh, a big left hander who went to Sandy, uh, San Francisco. Uh, he came into camp oh, wanted to be a starter. Appel, yeah, Jeremy Appel. Uh, he he wanted to be a starter. You know, uh, he didn't look too good uh, when they extended him out, and uh, they put him back in the bullpen. So you know, you always have Plan B, and I think that's where Lincoln is right now, back in Plan B. There's been a lot of, at least on on our blog, and and I would assume on on some other ones, complaining about the contract that Mike Lincoln was signed to, a two year deal. Uh, people have called it a Tavares like contract. Do you think there was any showcase in him, hoping somebody might take a flyer on him? Well, they know perhaps, but uh, I, I don't know. I can't, really can't speak to that. Uh, you know, not every deal you sign as a general manager is going to be good. Uh, you know, you, you hope to get good ones and you hope to get bad ones, and you hope that the good ones out, out you know, shine the bad ones. And if you're the GM, if you're Brian Cashman, you can sign bigger and badder contracts than, 
than, than Mike Lincoln and still come out smell like a rose because you have plenty of money left in your checkbook. Yeah. yeah. Uh, when you're when you're Walt Jockety and you make the mistakes on you know guys like Willie Tavares, they ride you on it for two years uh, because you don't have a whole lot of surplus left. Yeah, there's not a whole lot. The difference is the margin of error. I always say. Yeah, sure it is. I mean, you know, these guys are, are, are you know, I used to really second guess. I mean, there's certain, I never really did like the Tavares deal. But, um, you know, and I didn't know if there was a need to sign Mike Lincoln to two years. He had a great year. Maybe they wanted to, to lock him up before he, you know, would take you to arbitration and make a lot more money. But, you know, usually when teams do these things, they do have a plan. I mean, and they're doing it for certain reasons that may not always become public. And, uh, um uh, you know that may be the case with Mike Lincoln, but you know what? When Lincoln throws his, when he's healthy, he's got pretty good stuff, and he he was lights out there for a while when he was uh, um, out of the Reds bullpen, and hopefully he'll stay healthy and be able to do it again. You know, it was his it was his injury that side sidetracked him last year. Okay, Chris, we know we got Harangue, Arroyo, Cueto, and Bailey. Who's going to be the number five? Well, you know, I, it, does it really matter? Um, um, it could be Justin Lear, Matt Maloney. Uh, Mike Owings, uh, I would probably say it'll be Maloney or uh, probably Matt Maloney, at least at this point. Um, uh, remember, Lear is not on the roster, so they have to move somebody up before you to get him a spot. They'd never want to do that. Um, and he would be willing to go down to AAA and pitch until he's ready to be called up. So uh, my money at this point would be on uh, Lear, I mean on, on Matt Maloney. Now, I don't get too excited right now about uh, – yeah, Leak and Travis Wood, they both look like good pitchers. they got great futures ahead of them, but neither of them are ready to pitch in the big leagues. How many pitchers do you think they'll – how many will they bring to Cincinnati, do you think? Twelve. They'll bring twelve. Bring 12. Okay. Yeah, five and seven. So in the bullpen, we've got, you know, the guys that, that, that we know, the Cordero, Massett, Burton, and Herrera, and Rhodes. Who, who, yep. who Who's – I mean – Carlos Fisher's had the elbow problem, which I assume set him back. Uh, so you got Maloney, Owings. This Andrusic kid is a heck of a story. Um, yeah, it is. Uh, he is a good story. Uh, but you know, you, you, I think you forgot Mike Lincoln. No, I threw him. I did. I, if I didn't say his okay. name, I have it written down. I just missed it. Okay. You know, I haven't really done the math on, on the bullpen yet, but uh, again, uh, you know, it, it always amazes me, and maybe it's the old man and me talking now. You know how people want to make a controversy out of the 25th guy on the team, which is the last bull, which is your long man out of the bullpen. I mean, whether it's going to be Mike Owings or whether it's going to be Andrusic or uh, you know uh, Travis Wood, you're not going to win or lose based on that guy. I mean, he may help you for a couple of games in the year, but you really need your health of your starters, uh, your starting squad, and that's where it all said and done. Let's let, let's move over into the offensive side, and I think I asked you this question last year, and, and I'm going to ask you again: is can this team score enough runs to compete? Well, they didn't last year, that's for sure. And uh, But they didn't, I think, because they were sidetracked by some serious injuries. I mean, it showed you that you need somebody down the lower part of the order that can come up with some big hits because Ryan Hannigan only had 11 RBI last year uh, in, what, 200-plus at-bats. So, you know, you can't have that kind of weak production. So you need Hernandez healthy. You need to have... Uh, uh, you know, Jay Bruce uh, doing better than hitting, you know, two and a quarter. Uh, and I think but what you really need, I think, is Joey Votto having an MVP-type year, which he is capable of doing. Is And I don't know how to word this without sounding uh, in, insincere or insensitive. 
the problems that Joey's had, is that anything that fans should worry about over the long term? No, I, 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 I don't think so. I think the guy is, uh, is serious. He's confident. Um, he is, um, he's just, he's, you got to remember he's only 24 years old or was last year. And, uh, I mean, you know, he's a young kid. And uh, he had a very major trauma in his life. And uh, he felt like he had to be the main man in his family, and it was very tough for him to, to, to live up to everybody's expectation. Let's talk a little bit about the outfield, Chris. Drew Stubbs was, was basically handed the center field job over the week, winter, and Chris Dickerson wasn't real happy about it, um, which may have been overblown probably. You know, the, 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 I think some of the writers and John and some of the other writers have to find something to write about. But Drew struggled early in camp. I think he's playing a little bit better now. But is he on the roster no matter what, do you think? Yes, there's no question about that. I mean, you know, you got to remember that Chris Dickerson's five years older than Drew Stubbs. And Dickerson did, through his short period of time last year, have a good run of it. And so does Stubbs for a short period of time. They both have something to prove, though, over the long haul. I mean, Stubbs, it's a lot easier to have a good freshman year than it is a good sophomore year because the league adjust to you. You know, Stubbs is going to have that shortstop playing closer on him this year. Uh, so he's going to have fewer infield hits just because they realize he's so fast. Uh, uh, so, you know, it's a nice problem to have if you're Dusty Baker because you, you look at a potential uh, platoon, you know, one lefty, one righty. So if one really starts to go into the dumpster, you got another kid to go, and they both play very good center field. So uh, I think they're both on the roster, and they're both going to get a fair amount of playing time. Chris uh, Dickerson, who, who our minor league guys have, have raved about what a wonderful guy he is, that he's just a really a quality guy. Um, he's played very, very well in center field and struggled a little bit in left. Do you think that's – is that just an adjustment thing for him? I – In spring training? Pardon? Are you talking about in spring training? No, no last, year, last year in the outfield, yeah. Chris seemed to struggle in left field. It's a completely different thing. I mean, left field, I think the Great American Ballpark might be one of the toughest places in, uh, in baseball to play in the outfield. Uh, you have this horrible sun field. Ball comes off the bat, you don't see it. Even at night, it's harder to see. Uh, and, and Dickerson is one of the best center fielders around. I mean, he's a superb defensive center fielder. Um, so uh, it's something to get used to, but uh, I wouldn't worry about his defense. I mean, he's, he's got the wheels to, to overcome a few mistakes. Is Jay Bruce the hitter we saw at the end of last season, or is he the guy that was struggling early in the year, swinging at bad pitches, or somewhere in the in the middle? He's in the middle. He's going to struggle again this year at times. He's going to be a streaky kid. He's going to have to be reminded constantly by Brooke Jacoby and, and Dusty Baker to you know to stop bending at the waist and stop turning his shoulder so much and and and, and keep his core strong and. Uh, you know, but he's got exceptional power. I mean, if, if you just watch the guy take batting practice, and I'm not comparing him to a guy like Willie Green, you know, who used to swing all out. Jay Bruce has the kind of pop on his bat that you just don't see very often. I mean, he just, the ball just really jumps. And uh, you got to remember, he's only had a year and a half in the big leagues, and uh, he's younger than Yonder Alonso, I think, who was, who was drafted last year. So uh, the kid is very young yet. Uh, he's got a lot to learn. Uh, don't put too much pressure on him. You know, don't bat him too high in the order. Try to protect him as best you can. Try to get him some fastballs, and I think Bruce will be fine. Yeah, I, 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 the first time I saw Jay was in, in the Gulf Coast League in rookie ball, and I saw him quite a bit in in, in Dayton. And like you said, I, I, I used to tell people that the bat comes, the ball comes off his bat different than most people. 
it just kind of explodes <laughs> off his bat. It does. It does explode off his bat, and he's got that God-given talent. But, you know, the next step is to recognize pitches and don't get so jumpy at the plate. And there was a time last year that Jay was swinging at everything that came up there. And uh, he became a really easy out because of that. Yeah. And uh, I think that hopefully he'll have a little You know, don't expect him to take a quantum leap. Uh, just you know, baby steps. When you're that age, you know, you need to be protected in the lineup. And, you know, you bat him down around, you know, six, seven, somewhere like that. And pitchers begin to ease off on that part of the lineup, just mentally. They, whether they want to or not, they don't pitch the number seven guy as hard as they pitch the number three and four guy. Uh, and that's when he can run into a mistake pitch and hit it about 500 feet. Yeah, and you, you brought something up a minute ago that, that we talk about, at least Chad and I talk about a lot on the blog, is a fan, we as fans, I think, have unreasonable expectations for these young kids. I think people forget that how young they are and how much they're going to struggle at times. Absolutely. I mean, you know, these kids are the same age as those kids that are playing uh, in the NCAA tournament, you know, that are being upset by Northern Iowa, uh, for goodness sake. So, you know, they're not adults. I mean, they are adults. You hold them to higher standards. You, you give them a lot of hype, and you think just because a kid's a number one draft pick, he ought to be an all-around All-American, you know, lead a great life off the field, be a leader on the field and in the, in the clubhouse. It just doesn't happen like that. I mean, until you get around them, and, and I, I appreciate this more and more now that I'm older, uh, but uh, until you get around them a lot, you don't realize how young they are. I mean, they are just kids, and they're just having out there having fun. In the outfield, I mean, I think it's safe to say that four of the positions are set. How do you see that fifth outfield spot falling? Well, you know, again, I go back to who cares. <laughs> I mean, I mean, is it Lance Nix or is it? Uh, I don't know who else is in the mix out there. We've seen a, b- a bunch of them play. Well, Ballantine, but, I think, uh, is the other one. Yeah, I think Ball- it's Nick's you know, or well, Ballantine. You know, I, I think, I think uh, Bill, uh, Ballantine is what I was thinking of. You know, Ballantine is probably the guy who uh, uh, I think that uh, will probably stick. He's the only guy who's on the bubble who's out of options. Right. And every year a team makes decisions because of options. And uh, he showed a little bit last year, and he's showing something down there in camp this year. Uh, so, you know, if they want a right-hander, it's a no-brainer. Uh, I don't think Nick showed him enough last year uh, to bring. I mean, obviously they took him off the roster and nobody else picked him up. So there's a little indication of where what, where the demand is. If you had done the same thing to Ballantine, would somebody have picked him up? Maybe so. Uh, you know, they have their feelers out there, so that's probably the way it goes. It'll be interesting to see because the Louisville team is going to be going to be stacked. It looks like. And I think it'll be interesting to see whether somebody like Lance Nix or Justin Lair, whether they go to Louisville or whether they get cut loose. Well, uh, that's true. Uh, you know, but I think, you know, when you get the veteran AAA players like that nowadays, those guys are all signed split contracts. They make one level at AAA and they make another level in the major leagues. And I think that they're paying these guys enough now to make it worthwhile to play at Louisville with the hope of getting some big league time in. And I, I'm not so sure that Justin Lear's in a hurry to go over to Japan. Uh, I would more suspect that, uh, uh, you know, he'd be more happy to stay in Louisville, realize he's going to get a shot in the big leagues again this year. And when that happens, uh, you know, uh, I'll, you know, it, it'll be good for both of them. At least that's what the ball club thinks. So if you pay a guy $100,000 a year to go play in Louisville, sometimes that's a real, just a good investment for his ball club. What did you think of the Cabrera signing? I like it. Uh, I like it. Uh, you know what I like about it is, is he's a veteran that has played on uh, some pretty good teams, and uh, he just kind of fits the mix. This is a year 
where you have a bunch of veterans that are on the last year of a contract. Now, Roland extended his one year, but Hernandez is on a one-year deal. Rang and Arroyo are in their option year. Uh, and here you bring in uh, Orlando Cabrera. Uh, you know, Cabrera's a decent offensive player, not great, but he's, he's better than Giannis, and uh, he'll play good enough shortstop. Uh, at one time, he won a gold glove, so he's got to be at one time a real good shortstop. And I think for that reason, uh, it, it, it helps the mix of youth and veterans very much. Are, are you saying Cabrera? Are you saying Cabrera is a better defensive player than Giannis, or a better all around? No, 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 not anymore. Oh, okay, no, but at one time, hey, you won a Gold Glove, so at one time you had to be pretty good. Yeah, but he's a better all around player than Paul Giannis. Uh, right now, yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, I'm a Giannis fan. I mean, I, I think the guy uh, uh, is going to be an everyday player sometime in the major leagues. I'm just not sure it's right this year. Could be next year. H- how many? Uh, let's talk about Scott Rowland for a minute. Um, how many? Games? Do you think it's it's reasonable to expect Scott to play this year? One hundred twenty-five. I hope. Yeah, and and who do you who do you see as the backup at third base? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, that is a good question. Uh, Miguel Cairo. Really? <laughs> well, you know, you know, he was brought in here for a reason. Uh, you know, I know that he has a little experience with Walt Jockety, but he also played for Joe Torre in his Yankee years. Uh, and he was a big cog. He played a lot of different positions for them, and uh, uh, he's a guy that uh, was important to them. Uh, I think that they like that kind of a player. Uh, now, you know, I know you probably wanted me to say Juan Francisco. Uh, there'll be a time when he may end up being your third baseman, but I'm not so sure it's right now. Well, the problem is, and I've seen I've seen Francisco play again. I saw him play a lot in Dayton, and. And the fans got on Edwin Encarnacion's defense, and, and he's Brooks Robinson compared to Francisco. Yeah, you're right. Uh, I had not seen Francisco uh, make too many bad plays over there at third base. Uh, now, he's, he's, so he's gotten a little better since he's been out of, uh, out of Dayton. But, you know, he's not a goal lover. There's no question about that. But I also think he's got a lot of adjustment to make it to play to hit Major League Fishing. I mean, they will abuse him uh, until he begins to become a little bit more prudent at what he swings at. Yeah. Uh, so, um, you know, and he will. I mean, he, he's got a swing that reminds me of Prince Fielder. Uh, I really like the kid. I just think that, you know, sometimes it just takes a little bit longer than, than age 24 for all the lights to go on. One, one of our spotlight guys, Logan Parker, has played with Francisco a lot, and, and, and Logan has told me that, that Francisco's the best bad ball hitter he's ever seen. <laughs> You know what they say when you're on the island of the Dominican Republic? That's right. You don't walk your way off you the island. You can't walk right? your way you off the island. Off. Does Miles make this team? Hey, Chris, does Miles does my, make this that, team? Well, that, that's a good question because um, I'm not so sure that he does or doesn't. Uh, it really depends um, on whether they let any any of the finances do their talking. I mean, essentially, Miles was the trade-off for getting rid of Tavares. So they've got a contract with uh, with Miles, that they would have had to pay similar money or close to uh, for Tavares. So, um, and in the process, of course, they gave up Rosales. Um, so, if they make a decision on who makes the team based on how much we owe them, then Miles is on the ball club. If they make a decision based on who can help you the best in the field, it might be somebody else. And, and to be honest with you, I haven't evaluated the extra infielders. Uh, to that point, uh, so I'm really not going to make an opinion on whether it should be Chris Burke or Miguel Cairo or uh, or Aaron Miles. Uh, but they've all played in the big leagues, and they've all or or Paul Yanish. 
Um, they, but they've all been in the big leagues, and uh, they all can contribute. Uh, so it'll be interesting. But, again, I go back to the same thing. Does it really matter? Because if your shortstop is out for an extended period of time, you're going to have to have somebody in there who can play full-time. Uh, if, if Scott Rowland only misses a day here or there, then you can fill in for him. Uh, but, and that 25th man doesn't mean much. Uh, but, again, it's more important how healthy Rowland stays than who that 25th guy is. Okay, I think I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask you anyway. If you, if, I had, if you had to pick one player that has to perform to expectations for this team to be successful, who would it be? Uh, Joey Bottom. Yeah. You know, and, and, and let me add Brandon Phillips to that, too, because Brandon is going to bat in the number four spot. And people continue to say about, oh, you know, he's really not a number four hitter, and, and I was really stuck on that, too, uh, for a long time, Bill. In fact, until this winter. I was stuck on that until I finished uh, reading Joe Torrey's book uh, about uh, his Yankee years. And Bernie Williams was the number four hitter for four years in a row um, uh, for, for him. And he was certainly not a, a, a prototypical number four slugger. Uh, but he was able to slash the ball, hit doubles, use his speed. Uh, and i got to figure that, that Brandon Phillips can be every bit as good offensively as Bernie Williams. Uh, he just needs to be a little more selective at the plate and a little more of a grinder. You know, it appears to me that when Brandon Phillips really wants to be a great hitter at the plate, he can do that. He just that, you know, sometimes um, you get mentally slack. I'm not going to call it lazy, uh, but you just don't grind it out some at-bats as much as others. I noticed Pete Rose never gave up an at-bat. I never see Albert Pujols give up an at-bat, ever. Uh, I do see some other players do that, good players, just because they're tired and the game doesn't, you know, the game's a five-run lead in the eighth inning and, and uh, they're kind of going through the motions a little bit more. This is the one thing that's keeping Brandon, Brandon from being a super, superstar because this guy's got as much talent as anybody in baseball. Who's been the biggest surprise at camp? Uh, probably the two young pitchers, uh, Leak and Wood. Um uh, you know, they were first camps, and, you know, I think Leak, in my, my book, Leak, because the, the kid, uh, other than his demeanor, you know, he's feel free, you know, kind of free and easy uh, California surfer kid, but uh, he's got good stuff, and he's got a good idea. I'm very impressed. Who, who else impressed you that you saw, Chris? Well, I, I was impressed. Uh, Aroldis Chapman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, mean, no, that, I think, I mean, Chris, I think that's awe. <laughs> but it is all because let me tell you something. If this guy gets healthy, and I'm sure he will be, and he just keeps his delivery a little bit together. I mean, his delivery was breaking down a little bit the other day, and I watched it. I was wondering what was wrong. Even when he struck out two out of three in the first inning, I thought, this doesn't look the same. And uh, But let me tell you what. Uh, that is a case where a fifth starter does make a difference. Um because he, you, you're going to have your ace and ace and ace back, you know, fishing three times in a row there with, you know, with Cueto and Chapman and then Harang. Um, so it'll be pretty interesting to, to see how that works out. But um, beyond that, let me see. Uh, I got to think about this for a second as far as surprises. Uh, I naturally go to pictures right away, but uh, I've kind of uh, taken all of them. I think that. Um, Chris Heisey uh, is a little stronger than I thought he was. He's a big guy. Um, another thing that surprised me was uh, uh, Drew Stubbs. Um, I mean, this guy, I know he got off to a slow start in the beginning of spring, which in my book means nothing. 
I mean, that's the same as having a bad January. Uh, but it uh, this guy's a stud. I mean, you should see Drew Stubbs with his shirt off. He is not skinny at all. I mean, this guy is put together like a like a defensive back. Uh, very impressive guy. Which guy that, that and, you, and you may have just answered this, but which guy that won't make the big club helped himself the most this spring? Probably uh, Zach Cozart, maybe. Really? Um, I mean, he didn't hit much in the spring. But, boy, he should, you know, there aren't all that many true shortstops in this organization. He can pick it. And, and he can pick it. And he's got a nice arm, and he can go both sides. And I think that uh, until the big league staff sees you play, they can read all the reports they want from scouts and from your minor league managers, and they get tons of them. Uh, but until they actually see you play, they, they don't form an opinion on you. And I think they began to form an opinion on Cozart. Uh, he's in the game. He hustles. He's in the right place. Uh, and he was an impressive kid to me. What did you think? Of, did you get to see much of Todd Frazier? Yeah, I did. I did. Uh, I did. I, I didn't see him. Again, it's hard. I mean, uh, I didn't see. Small sample size. I didn't see out of Todd Frazier what made him the number one prospect in this organization. Uh, Now, I only saw him at maybe five at bats. Right. Sample size. Maybe six at bats. So, yeah, I mean, the sample size is. Now, if I watch a kid for a month, I can give you a lot better idea. But I can't do that on him. I'll tell you one thing. He's got good stage presence, works hard, big, strong hands. a little bit of a weird uh, approach to the ball, but he puts a bat on it, and uh, you know, I, uh, the jury's still out on him. I, I, can't, I can't give you really much of a decision. And, and it'll be interesting to see where he settles into play. I mean, they can hit the final spot for you. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see where he ends up playing in Louisville this year. Um, okay, Chris, prediction time. I think Rick, Rick Sweet is too. That Rick Sweet's got a, a whole bunch of guys that can all play left field. He's a little worried about his defense, although he's going to have one heck of a Triple A offensive team. Yeah, they're going to, they're going to put some runs on the boy. Actually, I think they're going to have a heck of a team because they're going to have a heck of a pitching staff too. Yeah. Hey, Bill, can I ask you a favor? Absolutely. Can I ask you? Can, can, can we uh, take a, like about a fifteen or twenty minute hiatus, and then uh, can you call me back and we finish up? I got about two more. I got two more quick things, and then we're done. Okay. All right. Two questions are good. Yep. Will this team finish over five hundred this year? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking for 86, 87 wins at this team. And I never come out of shoot and say how many wins, okay? And I'm tired of watching Major League Baseball, MLB, TV, and them picking the Reds fifth ahead of the, uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, I can't believe uh, that this brain trust uh, would do that. Now, when they went individually, Barry Larkin didn't agree with that, and other guys didn't either. But uh, I think this is a second-place ball club. I really do. I think they're better than the Cubs. I think they're way better than the Astros and the uh, Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, and, of course, they're light years ahead of uh, Pittsburgh. So, now, guys have to stay healthy. But that's the only thing. Nobody has to be any better than their baseball card in order for this team to be good. Um, if Joey Votto gives you a decent Joey Votto year, and I think you've seen his worst year ever last year, uh, this team's going to be very good. And I think the other thing is that they believe in themselves. They really do. And, uh, you know, they've got the – if Roland is, is around enough to be a leader, he already picked up uh, the step in Brandon Phillips. I mean, Phillips played better around Roland than he did ever around Griffey and Dunn. Uh, and there's a reason for that, because he knows how to prepare to win. 
And I think that's why a guy like Miguel Cairo was brought into this camp, and that's why Orlando Cabrera was brought into this camp. Will they be contending in September? Can Joey Votto step into it? Well, no. Will they? Will the team be contending for a playoff spot in September? I'm, I didn't get the whole question. He said something about September. Are they going to be in the hunt in September? Yes. Uh, yes. I, th- I, th- I think their pitching and their defense will get them there. Uh, I don't think you know. You, despite the fact they play Great American Ballpark, they're not going to leave the league in, in runs. But um, I, I, this is the best team I've seen in 17 years. Let me put it that way. Wow. Well, that's all I got, Chris, and thanks again for giving us your time today, and we always appreciate that, and hopefully we can catch up again sometime during the season. Anytime, anywhere, Bill. I'll be happy to do it for you, buddy. Thank you. Take care. Take care now. Talk to you soon. Bye.